All right, I think I'm just going to start today's show the same way I started Blue Jays talk. Just because I liked it so much. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, we got to talk about Alec Manoa. And, um, you know, pitching wins are... I don't want to get into the whole discussion about pitching wins and how they're valued. And I mean, we just know that Pitching wins are looked at differently huh. than 20, 25 years ago. But there is a certain, t- um, there's a certain time, I think, in a dude's career where you can look at wins and go, that's pretty good. Now, generally, when I look at stats, if the year 1901 comes up in the discussion, I'm interested. First of all, it was the year I was born. Mm. But secondly, 1901 is a long, long time ago. It's far away. It might have even been before the internet. There you go. And Twitter. Oh, how, how did you? they get by without Twitter you, in 1901? How did you say that? Anyhow, Alec Manoa's win last night uh, raised his career record. First, he's got, now got 20 career decisions to 17 and 3. Since 1901, this is courtesy of the Jays PR department. Since 1901, the only pitchers who have won 17 games or more in their first 20 career decisions are Whitey Ford. He was pretty good. Not bad. Vita Blue, who is kind of, there's, there's sort of a generation of dudes that no one really knows how good they were because, you know, national TV wasn't really a thing, and he p- pitched in Oak. Vita Blue was pretty freaking good, trust me. Vic Rashi, Johnny Beasley, Freddie Shupp, and King Cole. Those are the only other pitchers in baseball history who went 17-3 and three at least in the first 20 decisions. Vita Blue was 18-2. and two. Mm. Um, so Kevin Barker, as we look back at last night's start from Alec Manoa, six innings pitched, one hits, mm-hmm. seven strikeouts, one walk. We really are. We really are witnessing history, aren't we? We are. With I, Alec Manoa. I, I like how you started that and trying to talk everybody into to wins don't matter or wins do matter. Which, or which side of the fence are you on? Or, or? Uh, that, no, wins don't wins don't matter to me. Wins aren't necess, Wins aren't a separator between no, no, pitchers. Like In other words, if I look at three, if I look at four starting pitchers and mm-hmm. one guy's got more, no, I'm not looking at that because you know wins are a team stat, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But as I said, when oh, yeah. you're talking about a dude's they matter yeah. career, his <laughs> first career, and you're starting to it's compare. It's like the RBI. Him. When when teams that are supposed to be getting a bunch of RBIs is not getting, and then everybody else in screens, why aren't you getting them? Well. There you go. It's not a big deal, is it? The point is the it's rare. The point is it's he's, rare. He's pretty good. Okay, how's he get to those? That, that, that's the one thing. Is the, the first thing that stands out for me is the presence on the mound. We've talked about that to where blue in the face. Everything he does, the way he looks, the way he acts. I talk about beating the guy on the on-deck circle. You, half the people that he faces, especially for the Orioles, are beat before they ever get to the plate, which is a huge deal. I've been in that spot before where you just don't feel comfortable about what you're trying to do against a certain guy, or you don't really know what to, how to game plan it against it and and that's sort of where for me anyway when you watch him pitch against especially against bad teams man he attacks them in in so many different ways that it's just like your head spinning on what you're trying to do do i pull it do i let it travel and go the other way 
It's a sneaky hitter, heater that he has that tends to get on people. Remember, it's not 98-99. Yes. It's 93-94. Like it gets, well, it's, he can it's, do, no, he can dust it up. He can dust it up to 90, pitch, he 95. He pitching at that. But no. He's pitching at 93, that, 94. That's fair. That's fair. And it's more about location and late movement and tunneling. You know, he's going to tunnel the four seamer and the two seamer arm side. That's into a righty. Uh, you know, the self correction is for me the one thing that stands that stands out. Pete Walker talks about that a lot whenever people ask him about Alec Manoa. What's the one thing that stands out to you? And it's the self-correction. A young guy that can be able to stand on the mound, throw a bad pitch, step off, rub the ball up. He's just not doing that for show. Yep. He's doing that because he did something that didn't feel right. And why did he do it? And how can he fix it without doing it multiple times? That That's the one big-time thing. As young as he is, I know he's had all this success. But the league's figured out some things, right? They're, they're knowing sort of the 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 – Spinning thing that he throws a lot, the the way he can command the fastball, how sneaky it is, the deception he has, it's... See, I would flip that on its head a bit. I'm not certain the league has figured out Alec Manoa or Alec Manoa has kind of figured out the league and when he makes those changes, when he makes those adjustments, they don't always work right away. But you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, he 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 understands what he's doing and he has a plan, uh, and you know, I, I mean, he made the point about uh, about yesterday, just you know, throwing strikes and you know, letting the defense don't hunt strikeouts, don't chase strikeouts. I, I mean, I just think it's, I just think it's remarkable what we're seeing from it, him. It, it is. It's just he's uh, he's very unpredictable. You know, the way he can throw strike one, he did it last night with four different pitches. The way he can strike you out with two strikes, he did that with with four different pitches: a yeah. four seamer, a slider, a sinker away, and a sinker down. The, those are or sinker down and a sinker up. Those are, you know, when you're trying to figure out ways that I, I have to fight off a certain side of the plate with two strikes, you're not able to do that because he can go to multiple pitches to to get you out. And he does it with a, a, some flair. Like it's, you know, it's one thing to be able to stand out there as a giant human and, and throw a ball because you got ninety eight or ninety nine or a hundred in your tank that you can throw it right by somebody. But he's got a, you know, especially against lefties, he's got to somewhat set that up with that nice little toy. You know, it's not a toy anymore; it's a weapon. The the two seamer that he can front hip a, a lefty where he's trying to get him to freeze or like he did last night, get him to where they have to open up the front side cheat a little bit. And now you're starting to see balls hit off the end of the bat where that ball goes, the little lazy pop up to, to the right side of the infield and the, and the outfielder can run in and catch the baseball. It's, I don't know what the sky is for this guy. You know, I, I don't even know what he could turn into, but if he can consistently mm. do this, again, I, I said this to you on the air last night, what, what are we going to talk about when he has a bad start? I mean, he's due for one. I mean, I don't want to jinx anybody, but sooner or later, I, you, well, you know, the, the self-correcting and the and the fastball command, the two different fastballs, the way he can spin the the, the slider, I, it's it's he's always got something to go to when something else is not feeling right. It's funny you mentioned that because one of the things I noticed last night on our on our text line, uh, and and it was just it was throughout the game as well, and I had a couple of people DM me about it, and actually I'm gonna. Unfortunately, I'm using one of Barker's back leg bits right now about this, but about this, but people are starting to ask. And it's not like, I'm not going to say fans are asking, but I had a couple of people say, is there, not is there a concern, but if this kid keeps racking up these innings and keeps going on, is there a concern about workload? 
as you get later in the year. Absolutely. And again, and again nobody, Absolutely. this isn't fans already. I don't want to turn this into, oh, my God, there's some people. No, it's not that. People are just asking the question. Hey, if you get into September and you want to go to the World Series and you kind of sort of have your playoffs spot locked up or you're assured, do you start maybe working in an extra day here sure. with the guy? I, sure, sure. I don't the, know. The, the, the offense is going to help them back yeah. him off a little bit if they have to. Like last night, they could have ran him back out there for the seventh inning. Why would you? Why would you? You, got a, you had a big, giant lead. You know who he's facing his next start in the, in the New York Yankees. You know how he competes against those guys. You know the heart rate's going to be a little mm-hmm. fa- You know, it's going to beat a little faster. He's going to be riding a high going into that. You want him to be all systems go when he does go against the New York Yankees. You know, again, this is uncharted territory for him. He's never been through a season like this where start to finish – I want to say, you know, he started the season as the man. He demand now. And there's something that goes with that. Now, he's one of those guys mentally that can handle that. You can tell all the little things that go into, you know, parts of it. I, I, I give you a little story, and I, and I did ask this person if I was allowed to tell this, and she said it was okay. Uh, Hazel May, which obviously everybody knows is my wife, she does a very good job. She, she always tries to think ahead because of starts. You can't go up and ask people questions Correct. during the start day. So she's trying to make phone calls and, and trying to get information about stories she can give during the game while a guy is pitching, right? right. That's, that's her job, and she does it, in my opinion, better than anybody else. And she was trying to do her job. And, and, you know, Alex said, yeah, I'll call you, no problem. I'll call you before the game. I'll, you know, I got some work to do, uh, you know, and then – Something happened. He didn't call, and then he then he texts her, and he says, "Well, I'll call you after the game." Well, he totally forgot. Mm-hmm. During the game yesterday, between innings, this is like the fifth inning. He walks by her and goes, "Hey, it's my bad. I didn't call you back." During the game, yeah. well, like it's just, it's just like it's that part of it where just any moment that he's a part of, and the only reason I shared that with you is because that will tell you the mindset that yeah. he has when he's in a game that I've told you he plays once a week. He wants to have, you can tell, he wants to have as much fun as possible because he gets to play once a week. He's always on the top step, hanging out with the hitters, down in the barrio. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's not one of those guys who sits... You know, sits up in the 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 back ledge of the of the dugout with his arm wrapped up. Uh, how, how many young guys do you know that could are trying to go out and and have a game plan and, and so much thought goes into that has enough thought to, that can walk yeah. by somebody no, abs- that, that he respects absolutely. her enough to go, hey, it's my bad that I didn't call you back. Absolutely. Won't happen again. It's just like that's one of the coolest stories that I've ever heard, and that sort of gets back to who he is as a person, what he brings as a as a baseball player. He's very comfortable. He's very comfortable in the moment. That's he the he only is a remote stopper. I talk about this a lot with certain guys because there's only a handful of those people that whenever he is on the field, you ain't turning the channel. And he's one of those. And, you know, you you brought up the, the point last night or asked the question because we had some some people on the text line asking, when do you start trying to figure out who to pay, how when to pay him? And, yeah, I mean, with that that's uh... – yeah, I mean that that's that's a that's a discussion that's a discussion for another day. I know I brought it up last night, but that I almost instantly regretted bringing it up. That's that's a discussion for another day. Uh, we do know uh, that this year uh, he forced the Blue Jays to renew him by not accepting their contract offer. Same thing Bo did, <clears throat> and we've talked about it. I don't think that was an indication of anything other than um, I think I'm worth more, and we're gonna you know mm. we're gonna. It's a message to you guys that when we get to arbitration, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. And when we start talking about a contract, yeah. ain't no hometown discount it's cost coming. You. It shouldn't be. Uh, through the first 12 starts of a season, 
the lowest ERA posted by a Blue Jays pitcher was Dave Steeb in 1983. He was 1.66. Roger Clemens in 1997 won a Cy Young Award, started out with 1.69. Alec Manoa, 1.67. So Alec Manoa, at his young age, is smack dab between Dave Steeb mm-hmm. and Roger Clemens. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. He's the best pitcher in the American League. I have I would he start would he start the all star game for me? Yes. Do I I mean I I'm I'm trying to think top top five top five ERA guys in the American League. Shane McClanahan, Justin Verlander, Nestor Cortez, Martin Perez, and Alec Manoa's yeah, number Alec one. Manoa. Alec- out, out of those five guys, if you had one game, just just go by the ERAs early in the season. If you had one game to win. Who are you giving the ball to? I hate to say this, but I'm giving it to Verlander. That's, well, that's a great question. Even for you have to go, uh, I'm, I'm not it, real sure. I'm giving it. It says a lot about what Alec Manoa is. Verlander and Manoa. That would be the, the, the it, it'd be one or two. Uh, I, I mean, that's that's the only way I can, but it's just, it's Verlander. Mm-hmm. But I, one I, and one a. yeah, I, I would certainly have no problem. And as I said, if Alec Manoa, if he keeps this up, I could, I you know, who who knows everything that goes into picking all star starters, starting pitchers? But he certainly has to be in the equation. I mean, he's going there. Uh, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And uh, you know, it's it's just such a good story. And I, I want to ask you this because, uh, of course, we've seen other good young pitchers come through here. I and mean, we've talked about Chris Carpenter and, of course, Roy Halladay, uh, young homegrown guys, Juan Guzman. And uh, Pat Tabler makes it comp- comparable between Alec Manoa and Juan Guzman, and I, re- I really like that. So we've seen a lot of young young pitchers come through. We've also seen recent years Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez. Compare Manoa to Stroman and Sanchez for me. At their at at what we would consider their Blue Jays height. Okay, I, I'll just I'll just go by longevity. What you think it would look like? Okay, the way it looks now, close your eyes and think about, could it look this way a year and a half from now, two and a half years from now? With the two guys that you just mentioned and Alec Manoa, I would think because of body type, because of wear and tear that he doesn't have on his arm, his shoulder, his elbow, you know, they backed him off. This is his first real Mm -hmm. test of Mm -hmm. going a start-to-finish season with expectations to win the World Series, not just make the playoffs. A lot goes through that. You know, so it's a lot. Like, that's a big deal for me. This, maybe not to this ex- extent, but this could look Alec Manoa sort of the same way a year and a half from now, two and a half years right. from now, three and a half years from now. So I'll say that for me anyway, just by by his size, by, you know, he has the invisible with the hater. You can tell it's 93, 94. A lot of dudes are three days late on that thing. I'd love to stand in on it and, and know why that is. You know, he does have a lot of deception when he's running. Sort of when it comes out of the glove and he sort of gets it back to where he wants to release it from, there's a lot of hiding going on in there. Mm-hmm. And it's very, you can tell that it's very hard. Like they have a real tough time, even 93 down the middle. It's like they just it surprises them. It gets on them, has late life to it. Now he's a giant human. And I'm sure the extension out front there, it seems like he's letting it go a little closer than most pitchers they're facing. But for me anyway, I just think when you think long-term and you close your eyes and think, could this happen down the road? Did you really think that was Stroman? Did you really think that when Aaron Sanchez? Like I, I thought you, you were sort of catching lightning in a bottle with Sanchez. Like, is this for real? 
Can you continue to do that? Sort of came out of nowhere. It was the movement, the sinker, the slider. Really, is it for real? Didn't have a lot of swing and miss. Alex got a lot of swing and miss, and he just tends to seem to be getting that much better. Mm-hmm. Every start, there's something. Like, he's adding something. Adding subtract on the slider. Like, it's who can do that? Depending on the count. I mean, it's anywhere from 80 to 83. I'm going to give you my 80 early in the count. I'll give you my 81, 82 if I want to get some, take the sting out of your bat. And I want you to put the ball in play. I'm going to throw my 83 when I want to swing and miss. Who does that at his age? So, for me, that's the big difference. When you close your eyes, you can see it actually looking this way two or three years from now. And, Again, this is this is special stuff. Like we we obviously haven't seen this in forever, and and for him to be able to do this and self correct and all the things that it's impossible to do at this level. And you see a young guy that that a pitching coach then that run out there and go, hey dude, you're you're flying open, fix it, because he already knows that he's flying open and he needs to fix it. It's it's special stuff. Let's talk a little bit about the offense yesterday. Um, Matt Chapman, by the way, was still out of the lineup, although all indications are from Matt Chapman, at least after taking batting practice yesterday, that he expects to be available today. Uh, whether or not he's back in the lineup, you know, that, that remains to be seen, mm-hmm. but apparently he, it was his right wrist and he heard it doing, uh, one hand drills, one hand, top hand drills or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, in the cage. So it didn't happen during the game. And uh, he is expected to be available tonight. Kevin, 19 hits, season high. They get the big seven run inning, season high. The one home run comes in the eighth inning, Vladdy hammering a 432-foot home run. The rest of it was doubles, triples, singles, lots of stuff going on in the bases. Uh, Lots of, a couple of hit and runs put on by Charlie Montoyo. Okay, this, they're the Baltimore Orioles. There were a couple of plays that didn't get made. What did you make of? Okay, should, uh, of, of should of the we talk about the third inning with the with the pick play from Kirk to Vladdy? Look, you want to talk about that first? Let's talk before, about that, well, that first. because that's a big deal. I, I talk about we saw last time we saw Kirk involved in a in a rundown from third to, to to home. Obviously, he wasn't involved in this, but he is the thrower in this. And, that's right. And if the, you if you think about that play with Vladdy moving, because you want to do that if you're thinking about this early in a game. You want to do this early in the game because you want, obviously, if you mess it up, you want time to make up for it. So mm-hmm. that's why you're trying to do this early in the game. And you got to have confidence in a lot of people. So you want to have a righty at the plate because, obviously, the catcher is a right-handed thrower. Right. You want to be able to relay the, the message from the catcher to the first baseman early. That's a big deal. Like the after a pitch, when that d- defender is walking back to his position, you want to be like whatever that sign is, whether it's rubbing down your leg with your glove, whatever their sign is to give it back together to say, hey, I'm with you. We're, we're doing using, this. And they're not using pitch calm uh, in the, with, with Manoa on the mound, right? That has nothing to do with a pickoff play. I mean, that would have nothing to do with Vladdy and, and a, a, could... backdoor, a backdoor pick. That would have nothing to do with it. And you want to a lot of times do it with fast runners on the bases. Why you want to do that is because most fast runners get bigger leads because they think they can get back because they're fast. They're proud yeah. of that. Yeah. You know, they got a lot of speed. So you will. You, and you Mateo wanna, is a base runner. That's, that's he, part of his game. He is. So it's, you know, it, it was a, a great play all around. Kirk throwing to Vladdy on the run, basically quarterback. Vladdy's the wide receiver. And then Vladdy getting the ball and actually having the the awareness to know that that runner is going halfway. You caught him in between. Give it, give it up soon. Mm-hmm. Now, Santiago Espo is not the biggest target. 
So even to be able to throw a strike to Santiago Espinal is a big deal. And I've said this to you till I'm blue in the face. It does not matter how fast or slow that runner is. If you can get him going fast in one direction, no matter how fast he is, because that was a fast runner, he can't put the brakes on, stick his foot in the ground, and run the opposite way and outrun the guy that you're throwing the baseball to. Santiago Espinal set the angle, which he got on the infield part of the grass, which is a big deal because you don't want to try and throw it over the runner. You want to set the angle. Hold it up. Show it to the guy you're going to throw it to. Run him as hard as you can. Kevin throws his hands up, takes a step forward, catches it, leans over and tags. It's a perfect run to everything that was supposed to happen in that situation happened. And it just goes to show you how Louis Rivera has all of these guys prepared in big moments. Because when it gets playoff time, they're going to have to do things like this. Like uh, they're right, very right-handed when it comes to their lineup. We all know that, and, and they're not going to hit a bunch of these right-handed pitchers. They're going to face in the playoffs. They're going to need to do things like this. And, and when you can do it in big moments, early in games, it's a big deal. And keep in mind that it happened with without the regular second baseman. The regular second baseman's in the game playing third base, and I know they've played this position before. Uh, and and yet they were still able to do it. I just like it. Vlad, Vladdy is very comfortable about doing the back door. He's comfortable about when he starts. It's when the pitch is about halfway there. Why you do that is you're basically selling out. If the guy goes the other way, you tip your hat to it. It's more of you want to give that guy throwing it to you a bigger area to throw to. That's the whole point. You leaving earlier as the defender, and that's exactly what happened. So the throws were great. They were accurate. And that most important part of it is when Santiago Espinal grabbed the ball, it was none of that I'm jogging, I'm lollygagging, I'm pumping my arm, looking I'm doing because that dude's a fast runner. Uh-uh. You hold it up. You show it to the dude you're throwing it to. You run as hard as you can towards him. Kevin Biggio takes a step forward, throws his hands up, throw the ball to him, he leans over and tags him. It is That is baseball 101, but again, this is you see him doing it one time the mistake they made, and this time because Louis Rivera is one of the best infield coaches in all of baseball, said, if we want to go where we want to go, that has to get better. And that just little part of that game right there, it, it could have went south. You know, one little hit, one little jam shot over the first baseman's head, and that could have been a whole different game. But because they were involved in the game, they knew what the situation was, they knew who was on the bases, and they had, you know, confidence in each other that they could make all those throws. That's that's some special stuff. Sorry, I, I know we didn't talk about that after the game. That needed to be said. Right. Because that's what championship teams do. Even against bad teams, that's what you do. And you, it's, you, a further, it's a further indication about the, the development of, of, of Alejandro Kirk, even though you're, you know, he was mm-hmm. the guy who initiated the play. But it's a further sign of the development of Alejandro Kirk. It is. Now, that could have been initiated by Vladdy. Vladdy's we've seen him do that before. That's you, you know, a lot of the point, times it point. is easier for the first baseman to give it That's because true. the catcher has a lot going on. And sometimes he's not paying attention to how big the secondary lead is from the base runner. I have no idea. That's something we could check into. But just knowing the situation and knowing that, because there's fast runners on there, you can still put that pickoff play on, and it, and it actually works. So thought I'd get that off my chest because it was fun to watch. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is on one of those heaters. Yeah, it's not it's not by surprise. I mean, uh, Hazel mentioned that that Guillermo Martinez said that he got hot in spring training, which I didn't even think of this, which makes a ton of sense. That streaky he guys, was good in spring training. Was he was not. Good. We were all great. talking about great. how great he looked and how he was going to have a great year and he could be yeah, the, used the, up, the guy. He used up too many bullets. Because yeah. he's a streaky guy. And, you know, they really don't know why he's a streaky guy, which is okay. 
But I will say this. He is an anchor guy. And what I mean by an anchor guy is when, whenever – most people on TV can't see me do this because they can't see my feet. But whenever your foot hits the ground, your front foot, he's not a rotation guy. Give you an example on the flip side of that. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has so much torque from throwing his back hip – at the baseball that he has to almost release it by spinning his front foot around just to let it all go, right? Mm -hmm. Like his body and his front foot just couldn't take all that. He has so much force by the time he's spinning and rotating his hips that he has to release that. Well, Lourdes is just the opposite of that. When he lands, he keeps it closed. And the reason for me anyway that he keeps it closed is he wants to hit off the front, firm front side. But that's an easier way because sometimes when he's struggling, he casts. Cast is just like you're fishing. If the first move is you want to go basically out towards second base. But when you land with a firm front side, that sort of keeps your hands more compact, closer to your body, and keeps the barrel the last thing you actually see, which is the fact he is long limbed. Have something that's to do exactly with that as why well, when he lands, arms. when he lands, that keeps everything compact and he keeps that closed even when he's finishing. Right, that drives his eyes down towards the ball, which directs the barrel to where it wants to go. But more importantly, that keeps his hands really close to his body and doesn't allow him to cast because of that closed off front, firm front side. And we all know it's it's what you're swinging at. He's just getting better pitches to hit. And he's more confident. And you add all of those things together, and now you're not streaky anymore. And, again, when you got him going in, what was he hitting yesterday in the seven hole? You got him going in the seven hole. You kidding me? If you can get Vladdy more confident and hammering heaters a little bit more, I know the issues he's been having off of breaking balls, and you can tell he's going up trying to hunt those to get them off of throwing them him so many of them. But if he can get back to – getting in an athletic position, hammering the heater. He will get more hangers like he did last night and get to lean back and start going back Lake City a little bit more. And then again, it's maybe those two guys will make it a little easier for Ross not to have to go out and give up the farm to get a left-handed hitter. Maybe that's the answer. I don't know, but that would sure or help. Or maybe, or yes, or at least put Ross in the position where He's looking at a more complimentary piece. There it is. Than Ian Hatt. like a yeah, a, a more complimentary piece than you know perhaps that the guy who is 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 going to be a a significant middle mm -hmm. middle of the order presence. Uh, we've got tickets to give away to see the Yankees on June nineteenth. Ross Stripling joins us at eleven o'clock. Nice. Howard Bryant has got a new book out. Ricky, the life and legend of an American original about Ricky Henderson, one of my favorite players to watch. We look forward to Howard joining us. Joining us, Barker's back leg bits at eleven thirty. DMs are open, and when we come back, Masson's Orioles reporter Rock Kubatko will join us. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet five ninety, the fan Sportsnet three sixty, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hiding the timbits from me. You worry about it. You see, you didn't realize well, I you snuck fish in. Eye on some people. <laughs> I snuck you in. I snuck in through the back here, and I saw you. I saw you. You're like picking through the timbits thing, picking uh, through it, picking through it, needing yeah, it. You, Mister, you, Mister. I don't put that stuff you in have, his body. You have, you have, you, you. you and then you me. show up here with bags. Of, when we're doing the games in here, <clears throat> you show Boy, up with bags of skittles and, and and 
Boy, you just the first one to rat some people out, ain't you? I'm just saying, I don't put that stuff in oh, this body. man. Yeah, I saw you. You were having a little Justin Bieber timbit there. I enjoy you that coffee because you won't get another one from me. I can tell you that. Are you kidding me? They're Blair and Barker bus. on Sports and F590. Well, well, it's Blair and... And Barker on no, Sports and not... F590, the fan. It is Blair and Barker. <laughs> I just it... was waiting, you uh, know. I didn't somebody realize Somebody got some that free you... coffee. You just, you sure just backed over me with the Greyhound. Oh, remember them Skittles? I probably didn't give you any. That's why you're ratting me out. A little, a little that's what it is. Like a little my, my son loves Starburst now. That's that's the that's the whole thing. Yeah. You know who else loves Starburst? Who? His dentist. No, no, I'm good at his dentist oh, likes no, Starburst. No, no, no. Oh yeah. No, no, next no. Next thing, it, next thing is dentist is gonna have him. You know what's really good for you? Like taffy and uh and stuff like I that. Used to laugh really at, I used to laugh at my father whenever he would tell me that I gotta pay for your your cavities. And now that I have a son and yeah. Yeah, and know. then, yeah, he had like a half a cavity, and I'm taking out loans to pay for <laughs> to pay for that. We brushed him teeth like three times a day. <laughs> Anyhow, okay. well, we all we all have issues. We all have issues. We all have problems. Our next guest, uh, Rock Kabatko, Orioles reporter for Masson, was pressed into duty yesterday uh, as a color commentator. Um, well, let's just say, Rock, there were some travel issues. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Traveling into Pearson, <laughs> but you made it, my friend. You made it. I did, and that's a good segue. We all have issues. It's the perfect segue to me. But uh, yeah, it was. It was it's, actually, I was surprised. I'd heard so many bad things about the airport. The hardest part was just getting to it. Once I was there, maybe just because I went through so much, I was like, "Hey, this line's actually moving pretty fast." But yeah, Air Canada thought it was a good idea around midnight to text me that my flight had been canceled. And we'll, but we'll book you as quick as we can on one. It's around the same time. And it was. It was just two days later. <laughs> I, like, I, can't, I, I literally take it on a Wednesday. So, yes, it ended up being a Delta connection to Atlanta. It was a whole thing. There you go. Well, you get extra points. Look at it that way. Huh. I think, yeah, right. <laughs> I think that's the old baseball writer <laughs> in me coming positive. in. Oh, every now Who and then. Who are you? You know, long road trips. Sometimes wow. baseball writers have been known to, instead of flying – you know, New York, Chicago, you go New York, Charlotte, Charlotte, Miami, Miami, Boston, Bo- or Miami, Atlanta, Atlanta, Chicago, and then you get extra points. I mean, it's just, it's, anyhow, enough of that. The, 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 the Paris layover is hard to explain to accounting, though. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, the Paris layover is very hard. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. New York, Paris, Atlanta, Chicago. Yeah, that, that's a little hard. Listen, I, I do know one, one writer who used to, to, who tried to triple up and marry at points by going to New York and checking into three different married hotels oh. and checking out every day and going into another Ouch. one. Uh, that's a little, that's a little obsessive. That's, extreme. that's a little yeah. obsessive even for me. Uh, well, we're glad you made it. Uh, 11-1, the Orioles lost last night. They gave you a good game to, uh, a good game to commentate, uh, to, to comment on. <laughs> all, all kidding aside, um, look, you look at the American League East, and you know that the top four teams in this division are not only good right now, but it looks like most of them, they're, they're probably not going to fall off the cliff. How close are the Orioles rock to, I, I, I don't want to say turning it around. How close are they, do you think, to being a factor in the race? Mm. A factor in the yeah, playoff I mean- race, let me say. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the whole problem there. And any other division, you'd feel a lot better about it. And they, they're open about this. Michael Elias says, look, we know 
what we're up against. Even if we're doing everything that we've set out to do in this complete tear down and rebuild, we're still in a division that is extremely difficult to compete in, and especially when they are limited in what they can spend or will spend, let's say. So, I mean, I even look at the Blue Jays. Now, they, they can contend every year. There are season-high 12 games over 500. They're playing great ball. And as of last night, they were still eight and a half behind the Yankees. Yeah. So they must <laughs> be going, what, what is going on here? So it's really tough with the Orioles. And being competitive, being a contender, was basically the last box they checked off when they started this whole thing. It was about, we have zero presence in the international market. I mean, zero. So they had to start there. And they hired Kobe Perez away from the Indians, great hire. And then, you know, they're actually spending money in the market. And their analytics department was bare bones. Now they've built that up. And it's like pumping all this talent into the system, the talent pipeline, they always say. And they were doing that. Now a farm system went from being one of, if not the worst in baseball, to rank first by some outlets. So all of that was accomplished. Now it's like, okay, what about the major league team? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this is a process. And, you know, they're starting to filter guys up now to the majors. They're more interesting, at least. They're more fun to watch. And you wouldn't know it from last night, but they're more competitive most nights now. But they still, imagining them being well beyond 500 battling for first place or a wild card spot, it's just hard to fathom yet because of the division they're in. They have so much work they still need to do to have guys become established and be able to, you know, play with the big boys. And, and like I said, they're competitive on most nights, but there's still so much ground to make up in that division. Rock, is there anybody on this team that you think will be traded? This is a two-part question. Anybody that you think will be traded? And why would they trade anybody? Like, I was having this conversation with Jeff. Like, you, you know, when you trade and you're where the Orioles at, that takes time. Like, that they've stunk for long enough is my point here. And when you're getting people to trade for that are younger, that's a process. Like, that takes a lot of time for them to show up and be really good, which I'm not sure the Orioles have that much time left. Like, they got to be sort of better than they're, you know, better than they've been the last five years. Right. And Trey Mancini seems to be the number one guy. It's going to be a highly unpopular move with fans for obvious reasons. I mean, he's basically been the face of this team, and we know what he went through coming back from stage three colon cancer. And, you know, such an inspirational story, very popular guy in the clubhouse among the fan base, having a really good season. But he's, you know, approaching free agency. Uh, They did agree to a mutual option for next year, but how often are those things exercised Mm -hmm. when both sides agree? They look at his salary. He's a first baseman, DH mainly, little corner outfield and just spots that they feel like they've got cover, and they feel like they, if they can get something for him at the deadline, because you know, they have not had any discussions about a long-term contract extension unless that's going to start late, they feel like it just makes sense with the right offer to go ahead and move him and see what you can get, and it's supposedly going to open the door like with, with Anthony Santander. He leads a team in home runs, not on this trip, by the way, wink, wink, mm-hmm. but he leads a team in home runs, and, but he is looked at as a chip because he's had interest from other teams, under team control much longer uh, with a gold glove finalist a couple of years ago. And they feel like they can make room in the outfield. Eventually they're going to have to because of Kyle Stowers who made his debut last night. So those two guys are the ones you really look at and they're going to be unpopular decisions for various reasons. The motivations are done are different with Mancini approaching free agency and his salary versus Santander where they feel like he's probably going to bring back the most and, you know, plays a spot where they feel like they have young guys that, that can move into there. 
But I think those are the two, like, really prime guys right now. You know, the one thing they have done this year, it seems, is if they are getting some arms, and they've done a really nice job putting together a bullpen and identifying mm-hmm. and uh, identifying legit bullpen arms. And I guess, you know, if I was an Orioles fan, the one thing I would be looking at is, Rock, it seems as if you talked about their emphasis in analytics. To me, bullpen is one area where analytics can really help you improve quickly because you can identify things in certain pitchers that perhaps other people haven't. If, if, if you're looking for a positive, other than obviously Adley Rushman coming up, th- that ability to put a bullpen together, I think it, it speaks volumes about some of the inner workings of that organization, doesn't it? Like it, it, it sort of suggests that they're on the right track in some ways. It does, and I think that's why there are certain guys that they have been carrying in the bullpen and have been surprisingly good that really were, you know, minor league free agents, minor league veterans, grinders, as they've been calling them, and not proven at the major league level, but there's things they liked about them. And so, like, let's give this guy a look. And it could be just something about the arm that they like, uh, the spin rate, whatever they ha- they've seen in analytics to think this guy, they, they could work with him and get more out of him. And they've been doing it. And really, collectively, it's been a really good unit up to this point. You just wonder how long it's going to hold up because you've got too many short starts and that's going to wear out a bullpen. And, and managing a bullpen, I think, is the hardest thing that you could do in baseball. Buck Showalter was very good at it. I think Brandon High can be good at it, too. He just hasn't had Zach Britton and, and Brad Brock and Darren O'Day and you know guys like that mm-hmm. to work with. And they, you're a lot better managing a bullpen when you have mm-hmm. you know, some all-stars in there. But, uh, yeah, but collectively, they've been good. It's just you wonder if they're going to hold up. It is a bunch of minor league free agent types. Jorge Lopez right now looks like a really good closer, but this is a guy who was – you hate to say a failed starter, but you look at it, that's kind of what he was. And he's much more effective coming in for an inning, ending in a third with his stuff and not going, you know, a third time through an order as a starter. So they've really been able to piece together an effective unit. And they are, they're kind of looking at different things. Like CNL Perez has been quite a find from the Reds, really effective lefty. But that's somebody else again. They looked at and said, hey, with his stuff, you know, upper 90s fastball from the left side and this and that, we think he can be a piece. And they've really done a nice job with it. I just don't know. Again, how long you hold up when you're being called upon as much as they are. Uh, how concerned do you think Orioles fans should be about the ownership situation right now with the, you know, the, the legal battle between uh, Louis and uh, Louis, Louis and, uh, and, and, and John Angelos? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that obviously, you know, it presents an uh, unfortunate distraction, I guess we'll say, but the important thing is here, and, and John issued the statement, is they're not going anywhere. I think that was the immediate mm-hmm. kind of knee-jerk panic reaction is they're going to move, and, and they're not going anywhere. And I've been saying that for years, and they've got much, so much money put aside, whatever billion dollars set aside for renovations at the ballpark, and you don't do all that and then move the team out of Camden Yards. MLB doesn't want the Orioles out of Baltimore and out of Camden Yards, and that's not even a consideration. So I think more than anything, you just have to kind of focus on that. This team's going to be around for a very long time and you hope that they start winning again. They start packing the place, which they prove they will do when they're, when there's a really good product on the field. It's still a great ballpark. As you know, right. it's still one of the jewels and you'd kind of just focus on that and try and, and ignore the other stuff. Yeah. I, I guess my, my concern was less the team leaving Baltimore and more if, if something happens and the Orioles do take a, a step forward in the next year or year and a half to the point where they are, a, a, a legitimate postseason contender. You know, the other thing we've seen in this division, with the exception of the Rays, is ownership 
of 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 the the Yankees, the Red Sox, and, and the Jays. I mean, they've stepped up and gone into the free agent market when they thought they've had a chance. And I guess my question is, can the Orioles be in a position to do that if this thing isn't settled quickly? Yeah, I think they will. And Michael Elias has been given assurances that once they're closer to contention, they will spend more. Now, they're going to hand out Max Scherzer, Garrett Cole contracts? No. But they certainly would increase payroll as they get into a position where they've accomplished everything else because the money that they haven't been spending on the major league product has been earmarked toward those other departments we talked about earlier. And, you know, they will start spending more for the the team on the field. It's funny you mentioned that other team leaving Baltimore. That is absolutely – that's why I I am understanding of fans' reaction, the absolute reason why people panic because they already saw one team leave town when – the owner stood there and said, I'm not going anywhere, but it was mm. a drunken Robert Ursay. Right. Whole other set of circumstances. As he's, as he's slurring his words and he's just come back from shopping the team somewhere else, which yeah. everybody knew he was doing. You know, so, you know, people really are kind of like scarred from that. And I understand I was a young Baltimore Colts fan when that happened. I was devastated, but totally different circumstances. So I think there is kind of like that flashback where you just people get panicked like, because they, they still hurt over that. Speaking of panic, what what have hitters said about the Orioles moving the fences back in left field? They're not fans. The pitchers <laughs> love it. The yeah. hitters, not so much. Yeah. But, but I'll tell you, if you've been to Baltimore in the oh. summer, especially when it, when it heats up and hit, that ball's still going to fly out. Now, you have to hit it harder, obviously, to get it out in left field. But that last homestand, we saw more of that happen. We saw Austin Hayes put a ball in the second deck in left field. So if you still get into one, with the way the weather's turning especially, you'll still hit it out. But a guy like Trey Mancini, I don't know how many times he's been robbed where a ball has hit the base of the, the wall or the top of the wall. And there was one where he, quote, settled for a double. But as he was running first base, I watched him. He lowered his head like, you got to be kidding me. It's like, you know, 411 foot and it did not get the home run. So I know there are some guys frustrated by it. But it is a more level playing field. It was pretty ridiculous to have pop-ups that were landing in the first row. Now, did you have to move it back that far? Some people are saying, look, you could have gone a little closer, but it really, you know, they, again, the analytics, the Orioles, you know, they, they did an extensive study and researched this to see how their ballpark played compared to others. And it really was pretty ridiculous. And they're hoping more pitchers, free agent pitchers will see Cannon Yards as an attractive destination as opposed to, Look, I'm not, if I'm looking for a bounce-back year and a fellow mm-hmm. contract, why do I want to go to Camden Yards and, and have a 5 ERA and give up 32 home runs? So they're hoping it's going to make it easier to attract pitching. And meanwhile, they're pretty confident they can draft and develop their own hitters. What's, what's been fans' reaction to Adley Rushman? <laughs> you know, the usual where they're ready to, to protest because he was in the minors too long. And then after 12 games, they were like, he's overmatched, send him down. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's typical. And I think there are a lot of people that understand. And I've talked about this before that, you know, it's the hardest position not to downplay left field or first base, but you're a kid coming up as a major league catcher. So he has a lot on his plate, so to speak, already with calling a game still learning the pitching staff and just, you know, the nine innings behind the plate. And he's a plus plus defender. You've got all of that. And Oh, by the way, try and hit this 98 mile an hour sinker from a guy you've never seen. So I think it was unreasonable to expect him to come out and be hitting 400. I know it happens at times, but I just feel like right now they're, they're happy with his, his approach, his work behind the plate. He's already knocked down a couple balls in the dirt, including one last night that past years would have rolled to the backstop saw a lot of that. So he's doing a great job behind the plate already. And the offense will come and he's hitting some tough luck 
where he said some, you know, he had, you know, four balls that were over 100 mile an hour uh, off the bat the other day. But he's hitting to a lot of outs. But, you know, he's, he saw him hit a ground ball into the shift and then beat it out for a, an infield single last night down 10 nothing. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that's going to stand out to this team. So certainly the team's not worried about him. I think most fans get it that it's going to be a process for a, a young catcher to come up. But you do have that, that loud my vocal minority on Twitter that's freaking out over it. Rock, really good of you to do this, man. Thanks Great so time. much. Thank you. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. See you tonight, Rock. That's Rock Abatko. He's the Orioles reporter with Masson. Longtime Orioles reporter. Be with the Baltimore Sun. And, um, man, if he can remember the Baltimore Colts as, mm. as a kid, he must be almost as old as me. It is. There's, there's no way that if, if I was a, a good hitter and I was a right-handed hitter that I would go to Baltimore. No chance. Like, that that would scare me to death. Like, that, there's that. It's demoralizing. Like, you lay into something, you create backspin, and it doesn't go out, and normally it, it, hey. it had been going out. That would – you're talking about getting okay, let me ask you. Oh, boy. <clears throat> this is – and I, you know what? This is a hell of a topic. We should do we should do phones in this someday. I just – I think I just stumbled on a topic. I'll ask you as a former. I think I know what your answer is going to be. So you and I have bought a, a baseball team. Mm-hmm. In this era, mm-hmm. you and I have bought a baseball team, and now we're going to build a ballpark from scratch. Sure. Do we want a ballpark that's fair? Do we want a ballpark that favors pitchers, or do we want a ballpark that favors hitters? How about normal? How about that? That's normal. Like like everybody wouldn't else. You normal. It, wouldn't you want to make it more attractive to pitchers? That's attractive. Uh, remember, you still have hitters on your team. Yeah. What if, what if I'm a left-handed hitter who everybody says, line to line, let the ball travel, and I lay into one, oppo, See, create backspin, that. and that's a can of corn on a guy didn't even get bought in to go make, make it to the warning track. Yeah, it's a, that's a little ridiculous. Like, that's I a, bet if I asked a, a that's pitcher. That's an eyesore is what that is. I bet if I asked a pitcher, I'd get a different answer. Maybe. Maybe. It's like the shift. You've been stealing money since the shift was invented, pitchers. Yeah. Well, give us a little chance. I was just thinking about it. I, I I was really thinking about it watching the uh, the the Tiger series this weekend because, uh, and I've completely forgotten about this. But uh, Danny mentioned that when Comerica opened, they did have a flag pole in 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 center field. You know, Houston had the mm-hmm. hills and homage to to Tal's Hill that they used to have. Uh, but yeah, it was. I mean, Detroit was cavernous. The Comerica was cavernous, and they've kind of futzed around with it a bit here and there. I, I don't know. I, I and I don't know. I mean, analytics. I and and who knows what? Who knows? I mean, they could be next year. We could be throwing ping pong balls, given the way baseball, mm-hmm. you know, fiddles around with the baseball. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? I would still rather I would build a pitching friendly really? park, put my team together based on pitching and doubles. That's me. You kidding uh, me? Shai Davidi's got a terrific co- uh, column up on Sportsnet.ca. It's his game story yesterday, but it talks about the divergent paths from the Orioles and the Jays have been on. Looking back at 2016, that wild card game, Buck forgetting that he had Zach Britton, all that stuff. <laughs> he forgot. He didn't forget. <laughs> he thought they were going to change the rules <laughs> on him. But anyhow, uh, if you look at where things have gone for these two franchises since then, yeah. Shy story is really a good read because you forget, you don't forget, but man, that, you know, these teams hate.
hated each other. They did. They hated each other's guts. And it was kind of nice yesterday to see old, our old friend Rugnit Odor in the mm-hmm. cleanup spot and him and Manoa having a little thing. Kind of warmed the heart a bit. Yeah, Manoa doesn't uh, like it when you... Uh, you know when you when stare you out at stare him. out at him and after a check swinger, he's not a big fan of that. No. Um, but anyhow, it was interesting. Shy's article talking about if you look at what the Jays have done in terms of the core of this their team compared to what the Orioles have haven't been able to do. Now the Jays, I don't think they were hamstrung by that the type of Chris Davis contract that the Orioles cool. gave out. But it is remarkable, you know, when you look at. Where this team is now, how quickly they took apart the core of that 2015-2016 team. And we're talking five mm-hmm. years, and they were able to – six years. They mm-hmm. were able to contend. For, they came within one game of a it's playoff American League spot. East. In the American League East. American, American and, League and, East. Exactly. In the American League East. Try, trying to rebuild with your minor league system in the American League East. Good luck. Now, it helps oh, when... Good luck. It helps when you... You know, it helps when your system produces Vladdy, who was signed okay. by the previous administration. But Vladdy, Bo... But you still went out and bought a center fielder and a and a legit pitcher yeah. and spent two hundred million And you made a deal for Teoscar Hernandez. There it is. And you stole Santiago. Oh, well, I shouldn't don't. say you stole because Steve Pierce helped, Steve Pierce helped the yeah, Red Sox win the World Series. He helped you too. But you look at that, and then you add Manoa, and of course the free agent signings that they've made. Uh, it, it is, it, if you get a chance, read the article mm-hmm. and just, as a baseball fan, stop and think about the direction these these teams have gone in. Because really, you know, they, this this could have gone the same way for the Jays had they not had a plan. Well, you got you got to have ownership. That's and you've got to have ownership. All in. Pony, pony up the money. In. You know, move the fences in. Score more runs. <laughs> move the fences. That's back. my answer for everything. Doubles, doubles Score back. More runs. Four hundred and ninety-five feet in center Who field. Have a, up the middle I want to have way. a waterfall on the field. A waterfall on the that's field. Okay. Make it hard for hitters. Hitters have too many. Make breaks. it hard for hitters. Make it hard for if hitters. If I could get away with this, I know you would. I know you would. Ross Stripling. We'll ask him. Uh, Ross, you got a chance to build well, a ballpark. You know the answer. He's a pitcher. Ross Stripling joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast.